Episode 4, Dope Sickness Clearance Sale. If you're someone who's never indulged in heroin, you might be wondering what all the fuss is about. How good can it really be, right? Well, when it hits your vein, you feel a rush of euphoria greater than a thousand tantric orgasms, and then it masks all your physical, emotional, and spiritual pain for hours on end. So, you know, it's pretty goddamn good. Let me give you a specific example of just how good heroin is at blissfully numbing your soul. My dope habit was in its prime back in 2001. I was shooting up a dozen bags a day. On the morning of September 11th, I was high as a Georgia pine, so I truly felt nothing while watching the horrific chaos unfold on live TV. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen... No emotion whatsoever, just pleasantly nodding off in front of the television. Towers, a huge explosion now raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! That's right, heroin is so good, I was unfazed by 9-11. Freedom itself is under attack. Heroin, crack, and methamphetamine all belong to a category of illicit substances I like to call gutter drugs. Well, I shouldn't say I like to call them that. That's just how polite society treats people who use them. According to their corporate media coverage and repressive drug policy, we're nothing but a bunch of dope fiend, crackhead, meth mouth junkies. Our drugs of choice have been disproportionately criminalized. And whether we smoke, snort, bang, or booty bump them, as users of these substances, we are thoroughly stigmatized. Now, as you know, I'm a heroin guy myself, so I just want to clarify real quick for all the crack users out there. I'm certainly not suggesting that heroin addicts have to eat as much shit as people who are addicted to crack. I mean, first off, socially, the term crackhead is used more often than any other drug-related pejorative out there. Usually, it's to describe someone who ain't doing so hot. Like maybe some guy in an Arby's walks up to the soda machine and starts rinsing off his boots under the Mountain Dew dispenser, and somebody goes, Oh, get a load of this crazy fucking crackhead. Or when somebody pitches a real delusional idea to a large group of people, like, hey, let's vote for Biden. Then we can push him to the left and hold him accountable. And someone says, what are you, smoking crack? Come on, that ain't happening. I'm the guy who authored the crack house legislation. Anyhow, I feel like when we throw that kind of derogatory shit around as an insult, all it does is help keep the stigma alive, you know? And what are we really talking about here? Finally putting an end to the war on drugs, a.k.a. the war on people, which has been America's strongest, most reliable tool of systemic oppression for over a hundred years now? I mean, that's what I'm talking about anyway. And if that's the goal, then the first thing we got to do is slay that stigma. That'll expose the policy of hypocrisy that drives the establishment's entire operation. And with open hearts and eyes, it becomes pretty goddamn clear. The drug war machine is fueled by steaming piles of absurd bullshit that don't stand up to the slightest bit of scrutiny. It's a century's worth of propaganda that's all fear and no facts. Education that's grounded in puritanical beliefs, not scientific evidence. Research that's funded by corporations who stand to profit from their own findings. Legislation that's drafted and voted on by a Congress deeply indebted to the wealthy donor class and their business interests. Treatment that's punitive, exclusionary, and relies on outdated methods rather than an individualized evidence-based approach. And enforcement that's discriminatory, costly, and highly ineffective. Now, the only way we can win the fight to end America's drug war is with a passionate commitment to steadfast solidarity. Those who benefit from the war on drugs have always divided us at the intersection of race and class, which is why we must demand freedom from oppression for all people who use all drugs. No crack smoker left behind. No compromises made. And it ain't about being woke. It's just a practical, tactical truth. An injury to one is an injury to all.
So on that idea of ditching stigma, open your mind and ears for one of my own cracked out upstairs downstairs tales. We're still in 2001, it was a hell of a year. My buddy Maurice gives me a ring, says his coke dealer fronted him $1,500 worth of crack and is only asking for a grand back. So Maurice is looking to make a quick 500 bucks. Reason he's calling me is he doesn't know anyone in the market for crack. You see, Maurice runs in cocaine circles, and they tend to be a little judgmental towards those of us who use the aforementioned gutter drugs. Makes them feel a little better about their upscale habit. But I'm knee-deep in the underbelly of Luzerne County, so Maurice knows my Rolodex is filled with drug users from all walks. He offers to split the deal with me if I help him unload. Simple enough. Now, I never traffic before I try, so I hustle over to Maurice's place. And wouldn't you know it, he's broken out of cocaine, so convincing him to get off his high horse and smoke a little rock with me took all of ten seconds. Problem is, crack rocks don't burn right if you hit them with a direct flame, you gotta heat them up slowly. And since Maurice prefers coke and I prefer dope, neither one of us owns a proper crack pipe. So it's time to get resourceful, and thankfully, I'm a goddamn junkie MacGyver. I improvise a snazzy little piece using a hollowed-out tire gauge for a stem and a chunk of steel wool for a filter. It's durable paraphernalia and wastes very little product. Our plan is to have a quiet evening in, just two friends sharing laughs while freebasing in the kitchen. We'll smoke one, maybe two of these little $25 vials, then start making calls. Maurice's dealer gets his money, we have some fun, and make a couple bucks. Piece of cake. Cut to 6 a.m. the following morning. Our lips finally come off the pipe long enough to take a breath and crunch some numbers. Okay, if we stop now and sell the rest of these vials, we won't turn a profit, but we can still settle up with Maurice's guy. Beautiful. I'm just going to toss one more fresh rock onto the pipe and then start making those phone calls. (laughs) This is child's play. Sixteen hours later, I'm squirming around in a chair I've placed on top of the kitchen table, shouting from my perch, We're down to just $600 in product! Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, how do we smoke this much crack cocaine? Next to me, Maurice is squatting over the kitchen sink, viciously moving his bowels, so he's no help. I figure we're already in debt. Why not just sell ourselves the rest? Only puts us on the hook for a thousand bucks. I mean... That's nothing. We ain't sweating a single grand. 1K, please. Well, I mean, no, we don't have it on us, but come on, we know we're good for it. At around hour 50 of this unholy mess, we're wrestling each other over the last puffs of residue left on the filter, both completely naked, or at least I was. I mean, listen, I've been chain-smoking crack in Newport 100s in a dank kitchen for two and a half days straight without a wink of sleep. After a marathon bender like that, I sweat through my clothes 20 times over, so yeah, I just ripped the damn things off. Now, towards the end of this heinous affair, I feel like tearing my skin off as well. In fact, during a moment of drug-induced psychosis, I actually sliced up my belly a little bit. Ended up looking like Freddy Krueger gave me the Pillsbury Doughboy treatment. (laughs) Now, my memory of carving up my gut is sketchy at best, so Maurice becomes the more reliable narrator at this point. And the way he tells it, I stripped nude, then began to make small incisions on my stomach with a box cutter, and when he tried to stop me, I threatened to slash him. Apparently, the direct quote out of me was, Back off, hoss. It's one o'clock in the afternoon, and I need to assess the damage I've done to my organs. Listen, folks, crack is not an expensive drug. And we smoked $1,500 worth of it in a single sitting. So how's that for fancy, huh? (laughs) For one night, we transcended our so-called crackhead status 
and became crack sultans. Speaking of fancy, how about cocaine? Crack's wealthy boat shoes uncle. I don't care much for it. But to be fair, I grew up snorting adulterated trash. My entire high school cocaine experience was full of laxative lace sharts and sinus infections. Which is why if a tremendous bargain comes along on an eight ball of piss poor quality, and I simply can't say no, I'll save my nasal passageways the damage and go straight to a vein. Because even if it's garbage, shooting up coke will give you a glorious head ringing high. And of course there's the old speedball, shooting up a mix of cocaine and heroin. It's an exciting rush for sure, though I will say feels a little gimmicky to me. Hey, call me a purist, but I'm not a fan of the DH rule in Major League Baseball, and I prefer Madam Heroin all by her lonesome. In the spring of 02, I'm in the throes of full-blown heroin addiction, and I'm selling it by the brick to support my beefy habit. I got a reliable connect in Philly with high-quality shit at wholesale prices that I can sell in Luzerne County at a fairly reasonable markup. But I'm not passionate about selling dope. I'm only doing it out of necessity. I mean, I immediately violate rule number two of peddling drugs. Lesson number two, don't get high on your own supply. Well, more often than not, I'm getting high on my entire supply. The next few years are a blur, with moments of sheer horror that cut through the numb. I had a couple dear friends die from overdoses, which was definitely my cue to get clean. But I missed my cue. Frankly, I'm surprised I got to keep acting in the damn play. But there I was, playing middleman, with a dope habit that reached new depths. Meanwhile, the local police department's undercover drug task force starts sniffing around in my circle, so business slows to a crawl. Now I'm using way more than I'm selling. Then one evening, two wild-eyed gentlemen who don't even have the decency to wear masks barge into my apartment and rob me at gunpoint. These goons clean me out. All my dope, all my cash. They even took my flip phone, for Christ's sake. At that point, I'm stuck hustling day-to-day for my fix, and it ain't easy getting a job with track marks on your arms. So I start selling off all my possessions. Because when you're broke, and those withdrawal symptoms start creeping up, everything must go! Like my stereo with a CD player. That's right, it's a three-disc changer. Plus, I'll throw in all my CDs for just pennies on the dollar. How about this delicately used PlayStation? Or perhaps I can interest you in a dull samurai sword. It's the dope sickness clearance sale of a lifetime, but you better act now, shoppers, because I could be dead by nightfall. I eventually sold my car, an 86 Buick Skylark. Got chump change for that beauty. Then I pawned my parents' computer. Now, my folks are solid working-class people. They don't got much. Growing up, my old man would deliver newspapers in the morning, paint houses all day, then bartend at night. My mother was a domestic worker. She nannied for other families in the neighborhood. Both of them busted their asses so their kids could get a new baseball glove or go to the dentist. And now their adult, drug-addled son creeps into their house while they're at work and makes off with their brand new desktop PC. Dude, you're stealing Adele. (sighs) Other than the computer, they owned only one valuable item. My mother's wedding ring. Nothing too fancy, but of course, to her, it was priceless. To Randall down at the pawn shop, however, it was worth 150 bucks. I'll tell you, it took me a long time to shake the shame from that despicable move. Broke my mama's heart. I actually planned to have her back on the program here to discuss the stolen wedding ring. But uh, it was actually just too painful for both of us to unpack that shit on mic, so I said fuck it. It still stands as the most regretful thing I've ever done for drug money, which is saying something when you consider my full resume of lowlights from the early aughts. 
They include a B&E where I lift an enormous floor safe from a landscaping business, and after several hours in the woods working on the hinges with a circular saw, I crack it open to find less than 30 bucks inside. Nothing but change. Rolls of pennies, nickels, and dimes. I jack three brand new ATVs from a dealership to sell to a gentleman running ecstasy in North Philadelphia. Turns out I don't know dog dick about ATVs. He's looking to buy high-performance sport models to use in street races, and I'm hauling these utility models that max out at 30 miles an hour like a goddamn asshole. I mean, nobody in Philly's interested in farm equipment, so I leave the fucking things in an abandoned lot on Girard Avenue. Also, I hold up a bank, but it's a four-man job, so after we split the take, definitely not even close to worth it. Oh, and uh, I'm a little hazy on the statute of limitations for armed bank robbery. I do know it's a federal crime, so just in case I'm not out of the woods yet, do me a kindness and keep that one between us. It was definitely touch and go there for a few years. Too many brazen crimes of desperation. My buddy, who I've been causing trouble with since childhood, you remember Lee, my cross-country skiing partner? Well, he ends up with an extended sentence in state prison for his third burglary conviction. Countless heroin addicts in my circle getting shuffled in and out of halfway houses. Then, a wave of fentanyl overdoses comes to town. So finally, finally, I got my ass into rehab. I also got hepatitis C. But more on all that in the next episode. For now, just remember folks, the war on drugs is a war on people. And when we demonize certain substances, we're actually just further stigmatizing the people who use those substances. Gutter drugs equals gutter people. And we'll never make any progress in the area of addiction treatment and overdose prevention with that mentality. Harm reduction is love and solidarity, not judgment and shame.